Amen. It's good to lift high the name of Jesus in worship. That's why we're here. But we also get this awesome privilege. Um, we don't stop. We're not, we're not stopping worship, okay? Uh, we're going to keep worshiping. But he wants to speak to us. So why don't you uh, find your seats and let's grab our Bibles. And we will go to the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8 this morning. Mark chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Um, or you'll notice that our ushers are coming around. Uh, you can get their attention if you don't have a Bible. If, this, if you don't own a Bible, would you just take that one and uh, take it home with you? It's a gift from us to you. We love to study God's Word together. So we are in Mark chapter 8 this morning. As you're turning there, let's just um, be honest with each other for just a minute. All right? Uh, men are kind of slow. Fair? I was like thinking that we were going to have a whole lot of women saying amen in that moment. Uh, thank you. That was actually well done. Well played. Uh, guys are kind of slow. I am a little bit slow. In fact, I was trying to think, like, I, I'm really slow uh, to pick up on my wife's hints um, I, I was trying to think of a, an, an example of this, an illustration, and nothing was immediately coming to mind. And so I texted Carissa this week, and, and I was like, you know, babe, I, I was trying to look for something like, you know how you, you'll say something, and I just don't really get it, and, and, and it's, I'm just kind of slow to get it. And I was actually kind of offended because I thought it should have taken her a whole lot longer to come up with an example than it did. She texts back immediately like, oh, like when I try to spell something out for you in front of the kids. So... Uh, does this happen to you in your house where, you know, you, you're, you're trying to talk to each other and at some point you realize that you don't want the kids to hear what you're saying? And so, uh, you, like, you're not, like, trying to be sneaky or anything, but just it's not going to go well if they hear the words that are coming out of your mouth. The problem is we're not bilingual, and so we had to come up with a way that we would communicate these things. And so you try to spell the word out in front of them so that they don't pick up on Does this happen to you? Problem is, Carissa will be there. She'll be like, in the kitchen. She'll say something like, do you really just want to go to, you want to go to C-H-I-C-K-F-I-L-A? And me, like an idiot, is just standing there trying to like figure this out. Like, I know this one. I know this Wait, wait. And then I just kind of like blurt it out in front of the, you want to go to Chick-fil-A? And she's just like, seriously, like, you are such an idiot. Like, I know that's what she's thinking. Thankfully, she doesn't say that because she's really patient with me. Anybody else thankful that God is patient with slow people? Any, anybody else thankful for that? So today, we're going to see the disciples are really slow. They're slow to trust God. Are you sometimes slow to trust the Lord? Especially when you're dealing with something that's really tough, really stressing you out, and maybe you feel like, I'm just not ready yet i'm not quite sure if i can let go and trust the lord you feel that this is sometimes like when my kids i throw them up on my shoulders and uh you know i'll put them up there and i'm holding on to their legs and listen like i we've done this before i have never dropped them once and yet while they're up there i'm holding on they're still freaking out like they're not quite sure if they can trust me so they've got like this death grip on me with problem is I have no hair anymore so they're like grabbing onto my nose and inserting their fingers into my eyes like they're just holding on as tight as they can I'm not sure if I can trust do you, do you feel like that with God sometimes 
Like, like circumstances are coming, like I'm in a tough spot, I'm kind of scared, this is difficult, and, and I'm just not sure if I can let go, and, and I just don't see how I can trust you. What, 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 do you. what do you do? What do you do when you're kind of slow to trust the Lord? Well, let me give you a big idea from our text this morning. It's this. If you're slow to see that you can trust him, Jesus can open your eyes. Mark chapter 8, here we are, starting in verse 1. You follow along with me as I read. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and he said, I have compassion on the crowd. Because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. It's like he's expecting to do something here. And his disciples answered him, How can we feed one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that they should also set them before the crowd. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why? Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And so they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Okay, okay. When when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Father, some of us are slow, and we need help on this one. Um, Sometimes we're facing things that we're, We're just not sure if we can let go. We're not sure that we can trust you. And so I'm praying that you would open our eyes again so that we could see who you are and give us confidence that you are good, that you are sovereign, you are in control, that you care, and that you are capable so that we would trust you. And believe that you are who you say you are. Pray that you would speak to us in that even this morning. And we'll give you praise because you deserve it. 
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me give you three um, things to do when you're struggling to trust. All right? Here's three things to do. Note this. Look at what he's already done. Look at what he's already done. Okay, so when we get to this point in in, in reading about feeding the 4,000, does this feel like deja vu to anybody? Like, this, is, this has happened before, right? Like, we've, we've seen Jesus do this kind of miracle. In fact, we did see this. Chapter 6, you'll remember, Jesus fed 5,000 people that time. In fact, the stories are so similar that a lot of times modern scholars will say that this, is, you know, this didn't happen a second time. This was just one event, and, and Mark's kind of doubling up on the same thing. But, but, but listen, while the similarities are, are present, there's also some differences. It's not the same event. Some of the details are really different, which is important for us, okay? But, but Jesus is kind of setting them up here. He's like, guys, uh, like, I'm, I'm really concerned for these people. They don't have any food. Uh, you know, they, they, they've been here for like three days, and, and, and if, they, if we just let them go and try to find something on their own, they're going to pass out on their way. What he's implying is, guys, we need to do something about this. And so if you, if this has happened before, if you're the disciples in this moment and you've seen Jesus feed 5,000 people, then what they should have said was, well, Jesus, just do what you did the last time. We've seen you do it, but instead, verse 4, they ask this question. How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Like, how is that possible? They, they should have known the answer because they've seen it before. But, but instead, like, how, many, how many times have they seen Jesus do miracles? They've seen Jesus cast out demons when he wasn't even there. They've seen Jesus, like, calm raging storms with just a word. They've seen people healed by Jesus when they just touched his clothes. But here they are looking at the impossible again, and and, and they just kind of throw up their hands, exasperated, like, I have no idea how this is going to happen. And and it's kind of easy for us to, to, like, get down on the disciples and just, man, they're like so slow to get it. Have you not seen Jesus do this before? I mean, like, he's already done this. But, but how many times have we faced the impossible, maybe a difficult circumstance that we're in, and we've forgotten what God has already done in our lives? Has he worked in your life before? Sometimes it's crazy how um, God can show up in some really big ways, right? Like he, can, he can answer a prayer that you've been praying. He can heal diseases. He, he can heal cancer. He, he can provide for you when you lose your job. He, he can bring someone who's lost to salvation that you've been praying for that you never thought was going to happen. God can show up in really big ways. And then in the little ways, we start freaking out again like i don't know how this is going to happen and we start freaking out about having to go to the doctor and and i've got a a, a, a job interview and we've got a new assignment and i kind of stressed out at home and like what are we going to do you think about this for just a minute you would think that feeding 4000 people would be easier than feeding 5000 and back in chapter 6, it said that that was 5,000 men, which meant there were probably even more than that. It was even bigger. So this is not even as hard, and you've already seen him do it. The problem is, 
if you forget what God's already done, you'll start freaking out and fail to trust him. What has God already done in your life? Has he moved? Has he worked? Then why are we so slow to trust him? When, when you're struggling, when, when you feel the temptation there, look at what he's already done. This is actually modeled for us in the scripture. Multiple times in the Old Testament, in fact, uh, many times in the Psalms, the psalmist will recount the story of what God did to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. Remember that? And the reason they keep going back over that story is not because it's a cool story. I mean, it is a cool story. It's a really cool story. That was the most powerful, one of the most powerful nations on the planet, and they're in slavery. God sends all these plagues and leads them out of there, but then they get trapped by the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army's coming after them. Remember, they're all freaking out, and God's like, trust me, I got this. Spreads the waters, right? Can you imagine walking through on dry land with walls of water on either side? That's cool. And, and you get out into the desert, and God led them by a pillar of, of cloud and a pillar of fire by night, and he provides manna for them in, in, in the desert. He's doing all, it, I mean, it is made for TV. It's really cool. But the reason that they tell the story over and over is not just because it's a cool story, but because reminders of what God has done in the past give us confidence that we can trust him in the present. What, 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 is, what has he already done? Maybe, maybe you're facing a challenge. Maybe you're feeling like, I, I just feel worried. I feel anxious. I feel stressed out. And I, I can't stop thinking about the, the what ifs and the what mights. And I get it. It's those moments where the, the what might happen in the near future, it just looms large in your mind. Like, I can't stop thinking about it. And I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. Can I trust God? Can I let go? Can I trust him? Well, I'd say maybe, maybe you need to stop questioning God and start questioning your own memory. What, what has he already done? Has he, been, has he been good? Has he been kind? Has he been faithful? Has he provided for you? Has he been generous? Has he answered prayers? Has he, has he blessed you? Do you have much to be thankful for? Have, have you forgotten? How many times does he have to prove to you that you can trust him. Well, why does, why does Jesus do this miracle again? Uh, we, we've already seen him do this once, and so, so, so what's he really trying to prove here? Well, there's a couple, of things, couple of reasons I think he's doing this. One, he's trying to prove to them again who he is, that he is the Messiah who is compassionate, and he cares about what you're going through. But it's not just that he's compassionate. It's not just that he cares. He is also capable of doing what you would think is impossible. And look at some of the details that Mark gives us here. Look at, look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, in those days. Okay, so that's the setting then. What, what he's reminding us is, is where Jesus has been. I've, I've got a map because I love to use my laser pointer. And, 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 and I'm just going to try to help you with this, okay? Here's, he's probably down here. Some of you can't see this real well. But it's below the Sea of Galilee. He's in the Decapolis area, okay? When he fed the 5,000 the first time, he was probably somewhere up here in the north. This is the territory of the Jews, so now he's doing this in the territory of the Gentiles. He's providing for them too. And he tells you his attitude towards the Gentiles. Verse 2. 
He says, I have compassion on them. He just cast out a demon uh, in, in a Gentile woman's daughter. And now, as he looks out over this crowd of Gentiles, he's like, I care about them too. And he is deeply moved by their needs as well. This is why he came. He came to be a savior for all mankind. He came to bless the nations. How was he going to do that? Well, there's a hint of it in verse 6. You see it? Jesus directed the crowds to sit down, and then he took the seven loaves, and having, having given thanks, he broke them. That sound familiar? That, 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 that phrase there, giving thanks, is the Greek word eucharisteo, where we get our word Eucharist. Some churches call it the Eucharist. We often call it communion. This word is only used two times in this book, and the other I've got for you on the screen here is Mark chapter 14 at the Last Supper after Jesus had broken the bread there. It said he took the cup, and when he had, here it is, given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. That is how he became the Savior for all mankind. That he shed his blood and he died for us. But here in the Decapolis, he's breaking bread and providing for them. And verse 8 tells us that Jesus, he, he satisfied them. And, and just as Jesus satisfied 4,000 hungry Gentiles in a desolate place, he is the only one who can bring satisfying joy to hungry sinners from all nations because he loves you. But I think there's a second reason for this miracle. Look, look at verse 14. Now, now he moves on a little bit here. He wants to show his disciples their hearts. So, so, so he, he interacts with the Pharisees. We'll get to that in just a minute. But now he gets into the boat with them again. In verse 14, it says they had forgotten to bring bread. They only had one loaf of bread. And Jesus is kind of setting them up here a little bit because he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Like, I want you to think about the bread. And so they're looking around and they realize, like, man, we forgot dinner. All we've got is this one piece of bread. Like, man, like, how could you? And they, they start arguing back and forth. They're like, you were supposed to pack dinner. He's like, man, I wasn't supposed to pack dinner. You were supposed to pack This is great. Man, this is all this. We're in this stupid boat all night, and now we don't have any food. We only got one piece of bread for 12 guys. Well, I guess we have Jesus here too. But we're out in the middle of the water like, how in the world? What are we going to do? You got to think that Jesus is probably shaking his head at this point. Like, guys, what else do I have to do to help you guys get it? Like they have with them in the boat the creator of the universe, the Messiah, who has just proven that he is both compassionate and that he is capable of doing the impossible. They just watched him multiply seven loaves of bread and feed 4,000 people. And they're freaking out about only having one loaf. So he says to them, verse 17, why? Why? Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Really? Really, guys? Are you really that slow to see who I am? Bigger problem. Are your hearts hardened? 
you know, that not believing is actually a heart problem? He says, do you have eyes but you can't see? Do you have ears but you can't hear? Do you not remember? Guys, how did you miss this? How, how, how did you forget so quickly? And then he reminds them, right? He's, he's, he says, verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, you remember that? Like, I know you remember that, because I know you were there in that moment, and you saw loaves of bread. We only had five, and you were looking out at a crowd of 5,000 people. Now, I know you didn't go to the synagogue to study math, but it doesn't take a whole lot to realize that one loaf for 1,000 people, this isn't going to work. Like, if I showed up today and I said to you, hey, everybody, I bought lunch for you, and, like, we're, gonna, we're all going to have to split this in this room right here. Okay, this is it. That's all we got. Be like, that's it? That's what the disciples are thinking, except this is one for a thousand. In that moment, you weren't sure if you could trust me. You didn't know if you could believe that I could do it. But come on, tell me, tell me, did we run out or did we have leftovers? Remember? What does he say? He says, how many baskets full did you pick up? I love this. This is one of those questions that you ask as a parent to your kid when you know that they know that you know that they know the answer. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's one, you just want to hear them say it out loud. Like, come on, say it, say it. I want to. So he says, how many, how many baskets full? And the disciples just kind of look down and kick dirt. Twelve. Okay, okay, how many, how many, when it was seven loaves for 4,000, how many did you have left over then? Seven. So he says, do you not get it? Do you not yet understand? Do you not see what I'm trying to show you? And what Jesus does is he causes them to remember what he's already done. Do you know that it's a serious thing to not believe, to doubt God, and to not trust him? When you're in those moments, look at what he's already done. There have been times where Chris and I have had to do this. We've faced Times where we've been looking at the unknown, not knowing what's going to happen. We just had to hold hands and just recount what God has already done in our lives. And there's some things that we come back to on a pretty regular basis. One time we were getting ready to go to seminary. and We really needed God to show up in that moment. We really needed God to provide we were moving a few states away, and I didn't even have a job, so I went down ahead of time, and in one weekend, he gave me two jobs. And then I kid you not, right before we went, someone came up to us and just gave us a car. Like, just gave it to us. It was a nicer car than we'd ever had, and we certainly couldn't afford to buy it. And so there were times where, you know, when, when money was getting tight and it was getting a little difficult, and there were, you know, the temptation is to stress and to freak out here. Wait, 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 wait. God's given us a car before. And he may not do that again, but can we trust him? Look at what he's done. He's taken us through health scares and all sorts of difficulties that we've gone through. What, what's he done in your life? Come on, write it down. Say it out loud. Pray it back to him. Lord, you have shown me time and again that I can trust you. God, I remember when you answered that prayer. I remember when you healed I remember when you showed up in that moment. God, I remember what you said to me in your word. I remember that you died on the cross for me. I remember you didn't stay dead. I remember the promises that you've given me. I remember. I can see. I've seen it before. And so I know that I can trust you right now. 
So the question is, will you trust him? Let me give you a second thing to do when you're struggling to trust. Note this. Watch out for unbelief. Watch out for unbelief. So, so Jesus' concern here is that disciples not have the same heart problems as the Pharisees. And, and you'll notice what he's doing is we've, we've got this story of him feeding 4,000 people with bread and then this conversation that they're having about bread and it ironically forms a story sandwich. We've seen this before. This is one of the literary devices that Mark uses a lot. He'll start a story, and then he interrupts it, and then picks it back up later. And so you've got one story sandwiched between another. And so this story is interrupted by the unbelief of the Pharisees. In verse 11, it says these Pharisees, they come and they begin to argue with Jesus, and they're seeking from him a sign from heaven. Okay, so... Here's what they're looking for. They're not looking for a miracle there. That's not, they're not, I mean, it, it, it's tempting to think that that's what they were asking for. They wanted him to do some sort of magic trick or something that would really wow them. To, you know, like, wow, that's really cool. That's not what they were looking for. They were actually just asking for authentication from God, which in some ways was kind of a reasonable thing to ask for someone who claims to be speaking for God as a prophet. Problem is, they don't really want to look for a reason to believe that he's legit. Okay? They've already made up their mind. So, so, so why are they asking for a sign? Well, the text says, it says to test him. That word is used only four times in this book. The only ones who test Jesus in the book of Mark are the Pharisees and Satan. Not a list that you want to be on. Fair? And why do they do it? Well, Jesus, in this moment, he, he could have kind of thrown them a bone here. He could have given them a little bit of a miracle or a prophecy and that could have come true right away, even if it was just a simple one. He could have said, hey, bro, listen, like in in exactly two minutes, your mom is going to text you asking if you brought anything for dinner. And the guy's phone buzzes. He's like, whoa, dude, that was amazing. How did you know that was going to happen? Like He could have done that. But Jesus knew that it wouldn't have made any difference. They don't want to believe in him. They have already rejected and decided that the evidence that they've seen and his claims are not true. And so instead, Jesus, verse 12, it says he sighed deeply in his spirit. This is deja vu again. We just saw him sigh last week. Remember that? Chapter 7, he was sighing when he looked up to heaven. Why was he sighing? Well, it's because he was looking at the deaf man. Remember that? And the word sigh means to to grieve or to groan. Why was Jesus groaning? Because he was looking at the brokenness of his creation because of sin. But this sigh is even deeper. It's even more pronounced. I mean, he is literally like, oh. He is exasperated. He is disgusted by their unbelief. And so he's like, "I'm I'm not giving you a sign. He refuses to give them a sign. Because they've already decided that his word is not enough. He's proclaimed the gospel. He's told them who he is. He's demonstrated that he's the Messiah, but they rejected him. Can I just tell you, there is no justification for your unbelief. There isn't. I I know you might think, like, I need more evidence, or I need more time, or you think you need all of your questions answered first, but if you're in this undecided state, like, I just don't know about this guy, it means that you're not 
trusting and believing in Jesus. It's not a neutral position. This is not like, uh, you know, deciding whether you want to buy a new car. And you go to the new car salesman, and he gives you this spiel and tells you, and you're like, man, that's awesome, it's really great, but I'm still not sure. And in that situation, you could just choose to walk away, no problem. It's not like that here. If God has said in His Word that you are a sinner, and your sin separates you from Him for all of eternity, but, but, Jesus died for you to save you from your sin, then you need to believe Him. And if you have believed Him, if you are a disciple in Christ, and if He said in His Word that no matter what the circumstances is you are facing, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult, no matter how stressed are you are, how much you want to worry and, and be anxious, He said He is good. And He is sovereign. He is in control. So you can trust Him. That means you need to believe Him. But there are serious sin and serious consequences when you don't believe Christ. Look at verse 13. Look what he does. The text says that he left them. It's kind of a scary picture, isn't it? He walks away. I'm not doing this anymore. Like you've had your chance. If you've heard the gospel, if you've heard the claims of Jesus, but you still doubt and reject him and You've not trusted Him to save you. God's Word says that you will be separated from Him for all of eternity. So there's an urgency here. Don't, don't wait. What he's saying is believe now. But it's not just for unbelievers. Because look at what He says in, in, to His disciples in verse 15. After they get back in the boat, He tells them, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So, so leaven was, was kind of a, a, a usual metaphor that they would use in, in the Bible. And, and here's the reason. How much leaven or yeast do you have to put in a loaf of bread to make it rise? Not very much, right? I mean, you just imagine this without uh, yeast. If you forgot to do it, it would be kind of flat, lifeless. But as soon as you put just a little bit, it, it expands. Because even just a little bit impacts and makes the whole dough rise. So what he's saying to his disciples is that's like evil. That's like the evil of the Pharisees. It's just a little bit of that unbelieving heart. It's going to impact the whole. I don't even want you to have a little bit of doubt or unbelief in your heart because it's going to grow. Now, you have to understand that, that it's kind of natural for us to worry or to be anxious or to be stressed or to freak out, right? And a lot of times you're in these situations where, where you know, your friends and the people around you, they, they would say it's, it's understandable. It's like, I, I get it. I know. I know why you're freaking out. I know why you're stressed. I know why you're worried. It's okay. But Jesus says it's not okay. He's saying it's sin and it needs to be repented of. Because think about what you're really saying. In those moments where you are freaking out and just thinking about the what-ifs and the what-mights and worrying and being anxious, and what you're really saying is, God, I know, I know that you say that you're in control. I know that you say that you're good and that you care, that you are sovereign and that I can trust you. 
but I don't believe you. I don't believe you. That's why unbelief is such a serious sin with serious consequences. So he's saying, watch out. Watch out for unbelief in your heart. What do you do? If there's even just a little bit, what do you do? Well, first thing you do is you repent. But let me give you one more thing to do when you're struggling to see that you can trust. Note this. Ask him to open your eyes. Ask him to open your eyes. He's going to give us this little story here, verse 22. I want to keep reading uh, because he keeps going to illustrate this for us. Verse 22, he says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home to him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Can, can we just admit that this is kind of a weird miracle, right? I mean, besides the fact that Jesus is spitting again, it kind of seems like he botched it the first time, right? Like it didn't work, it didn't take. And so, so he had to do it again. He had to try a little bit harder, and he finally got it right the second time. Like, I, I don't know, like he like forgot the magic words, or he got them mixed up or something, right? No, that can't be right. Like, we've seen Jesus do all these incredible miracles, and so, so why? Why does he perform this miracle in stages? Well, there's a hint. What did Jesus ask his disciples in verse 18? Verse 18. Don't look at me. Look at the text. What does it say? says, having eyes, do you not see? Notice now in this story that he's talking to a blind man. That's intentional irony. And what does he ask the blind man in verse 23? Same thing. Do you see anything? And the answer is yes. Just not clearly. It looks like a whole bunch of trees walking around. He's like, okay, those are people, so let's try this again. And, and he does it, verse 25, and he opened his eyes. This time his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus has just given his disciples a picture of themselves in this miracle. He's like, guys, I know like, I've been calling you out because you haven't gotten it, and you're so slow to see who I am, but just like this man, You're going to start to see. But it's not going to be clear at first. But eventually, you will see clearly. This is going to become more pronounced next week when we look at the halfway point. Can you believe that? We're going to be halfway through the book of Mark. And and Peter steps up and he makes this bold confession because Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And this becomes the centerpiece of the book of Mark. He steps forward and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. He finally got it right. But even in this moment when he could start to see the right answer that he's the Messiah, they're still not going to see clearly. They don't really know what that means. Because they're not going to understand the mission of the Messiah was for him to come to die. They're just kind of slow. And so... Healing the blind man became a picture of the disciples' spiritual journey, that they're just gradually going to get it. Praise God, he's so patient with us, right? 
The urgency is still here. But when we fall back into worry and doubts and when we fail to trust him, and to take him at his word and believe that he is who he says he is, he is so patient when we're slow. And if you're slow to see that you can trust him, Jesus can open your eyes. How? How? Well, look at verse 23. What do you do? Jesus laid his hands on him. See, it's the personal touch of Jesus that lights and stokes the fire of our faith so that we can see who he truly is, so that we can have the confidence to hold his hand tight and let him lead us where we could never go on our own. Will you trust him? Like in, in these moments where you like, will, you, will you pray and ask him, God, I need you. He already knows. Just confess it. God, I'm slow. I don't feel like I can trust you right now. Increase my faith. I want to be able to see you for who you are so that I could pray just as the psalmist prays, for it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God, he lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. Nothing's going to stop us. For this God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and He set me secure on the heights. Can you pray that? Like, come on God, show me. Open my eyes. I want to see that when you are in the presence of Christ, there's no need to fear. There's no need to worry. There's no need to freak out. You can trust him. The question is, will you believe? Can you see him? Father, I pray that you would open our eyes. I pray that you would help us to see that you are great and glorious, that you are compassionate, that you care about what we're going through. And not only are you compassionate, but that you're capable of doing the impossible. And so, Lord, I know that some of us today are in a spot where we just say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And I can't stop thinking about the what ifs and the what mights. And I just don't know that I'm ready to let go and really trust you. God, would you convince us again of who you are? I pray that we would have that kind of confidence that we would be willing to just take your hand and hold you and let you lead us where you want to take us, even if that's somewhere that we're a little nervous about. But we'll trust you. You have proven yourself to us. God, time and again, you have been faithful to me. Time and again, you have shown me that you love me, that you care, and that you will take care of me. So I pray that you would convince us of that again so that we will be a church that trusts you even in the hard times. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.